This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Woohoo, we did our intro correctly again this week. You always are more taken with that than <laughs> we could actually record it and never do it again. You know what other podcasts are doing? What are they doing? Some other podcasts are doing this. They're, they're putting together like a scripted intro, but not like a... a about per episode. So, like, you'll start. Faded Maid started doing this. It's a romance podcast I mention all the time. So, one podcast is doing A couple this. of them are doing it. A I think I noticed some other ones. Good. Some others, not just okay. Faded Maids. But they'll be like, on today's episode, we'll be talking about this, 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 and this. And that way, when you and I run our fucking mouths for the first 10 minutes of the episode, somebody will be able to have hope that we will eventually discuss what we talk about in the episode but summary. But then we might feel obliged to actually talk about those things. <laughs> That's why we record it after we finish the episode. That's correct. We do so the summary. Right. We write the summary after we've recorded it. Because we don't know Because you what never can tell about. what we're going to end up talking about. We used to do... My favorite well, was when we did, the, microphone we did the collision on yeah, there. My, my glasses <laughs> ricocheting off my microphone there um, was when we used to do the not report. That mm-hmm. was my favorite way to start. Um, when we did the dinner party show, everything we opened with what, a list of what we would not be talking about. What we were, and it was a list of things that we hated. So it was a way of trashing things without pre- while pretending not to discuss them. And buzzing through current events. Exactly. Buzzing through current events. Um. Okay, I don't know if current events describes what we're going to be talking about today, but this is a true crime special edition, which means we're serving up a multi-episode series for you in one episode of our podcast. So if I were to look that up, that, that's what it would say. That's what it says in Webster's okay. Webster's bitchy definitions <laughs> of Christopher and Eric things. Um, Webster's true crime definitions. True crime definitions. Um the, the standard disclaimer, which I haven't given for a while, which might be gross, I think, on some uh, some respects. I love that you think that. <laughs> that, <laughs> that a, that, that you haven't given it for a while, <laughs> and B, that not giving it for a while would be gross. It would be gross. I think that's, but we all, <laughs> tell us the disclaimer, Christopher. You do not have to watch the special or the series that we are about to talk about. In fact, you shouldn't feel pressure. It's about being a pressure-free environment here. We are, our job is to serve it up. In enough steaming detail, I Baby. know you love it, um, that you will feel like you've watched it, and then you don't have to watch it. You can just listen to our show instead, and it's all about us. It's really That's my goal, is to make it so all about us the short all version is, spoiler alert, Yeah, we're doing the whole show. Yeah. So if you want to be surprised by the show, go watch it first. And today's uh, show is Unseemly, the investigation of it's Peter Nygaard. Yes, it's four parts. 
four parts. And so Where is it? Is it on Discovery Plus? Yeah. I think this is a Canadian production. This is the Canadian story in large part. You know, he's a Canadian, so Peter Nygaard, the subject of this series. So we'll be having Canadian bacon <laughs> to celebrate. I don't know if we're going to be celebrating anything about this. There is topic. really yeah. this is not a very celebratory. Not no. very celebratory. I don't think Canada is very happy about this one, or anybody else for that matter. The Bahamians, I oh. think, are probably a little touchy about it as well. So let's start here. Let's start here. Eric Shaw Quinn. Had you ever heard of Peter Nygaard before we watched this? I have never heard of him before this. Never. This is my first encounter. To find out, to have it open with that he was this jet-setting, internationally known fashion designer, I was like, really? I'm not the hub of the fashion world. Don't no, get me wrong. me neither, yeah. I really think that... I'm looking forward to when they stop asking women on the red carpet about their outfits yeah. and start asking them about what's in their head. Mm -hmm. I think that's way more interesting, and I think the women on the red carpet are there because of what's in their head, not because of what's on their back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not yeah. that guy. But, but. Like, I have a general working knowledge of the fashion industry, and I've been shopping before, and I have never— are there stores? Were there boutiques? Was it called Nygards? Was it, or was it like, like you wouldn't know Les, Les, Wex, Les Wexner's name. Try and say that three uh, times Les fast. Wexner, Les Wexner, Les Wexner, I'm Les Wexner. You, yeah. Wow. That right. was, that's a tricky one. Um, but you know, the limited and um, all of those, the, yeah. the, the what's the, the, the structure Oh, right. For Structure was where closeted limited. gay high school students shopped. Yes. I, did, I, I did right on yeah. into my 30s. Um, <laughs> and uh, because I was actually shopping for closeted gay high school students. No, that's not <laughs> No, that's gross. That's um, another special. That's, that's Peter Nygaard. The investigation um, of Eric Shaw Quinn. That's Peter's story. Um, but, uh, you know, like, and I still shop at Bath and Body Works, and that's him, mm -hmm. you know, or it used to be. Oh, goodness. What's going on over there? I Are you allergic to Peter Nygaard? I think so. Or a spider crawled up my nose every now and again. Oh, I hate nose spiders. It's like, my God, that's so itchy. What's going on? So I know. Sorry. I had to really shove a Kleenex Well, let, let me, since you've taken a pause, let me jump in here. <laughs> you stop. You tried to inhale. <laughs> since my itching powder has finally taken effect on your nose, <laughs> I thought it was just for my crotch, but apparently it got free. Um... He is presented to us thusly, if you will, that he was essentially a department to store, a department store designer. I think we're being poisoned during this episode. Department to store. A department store designer who designed, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Non-pretentious outfits for the the natural proportions of a woman. They were not and these, for older women. Yeah. He said he says at one point during I'll jump ahead, but not much. Yeah. Um he says at one point when he's being interviewed that when he first started going into the business, he started in in clothing sales and he was considering going into beginning to design and manufacture right. his own line. And uh people said, Oh well, Half of the market is under 25, and so you have to set up to, yes. to sell to them. And he said, and I realized 
That meant that the other half of the market was over 25 and nobody was competing to design for them. And it was actually kind of a brilliant discovery. It made him a very rich and successful man, but but, but it did not put him on the cover of Vogue magazine because that isn't who he was designing for. It didn't bother. Yes, and I will say this. I think that tension is part of... A theme of everything that we're about to talk about, that that idea of becoming incredibly successful, but not being, quote unquote, accepted by certain sort of culture leaders or thought leaders. I think that was a a defining aspect in some ways of Peter Nygaard's character, as we're going to talk about that. Wanting admittance, not getting admittance, building his own world. And building a world, as we come to discover, that was really kind of rotten to the core. Oh, my God. Rotten a, to the core. Yeah, really so, but I do want to separate out everything we're going to talk about with Peter Nygaard. I want to separate it from the genius of that business strategy, going to the underserved, the ignored, the invisible. And providing them with a really high-end product. Yeah. Like, it was probably largely polyester, but he was, but that's who he was looking for. He was designing for... Women in that particular market. Dillard's department store carried his line, I think, right up until the feces hit the fan. Yeah, everything um, we're going to talk about. So let's let's get into it because the series gets right into it. Basically, yeah. they, they introduce us to Peter Nygaard and they basically introduce him as the king of Winnipeg. He is factory. His headquarters are in Winnipeg, Canada, and he has a, he is the the most he is the city the city's foremost citizen. Um, and he's incredibly powerful and he's incredibly wealthy. So when a bunch of women start to bring claims of sexual harassment against them, the local paper has a very difficult time getting it covered because phones start ringing, calls start being made. Uh, you don't want to piss off Peter Nygaard in Winnipeg. And we're introduced to those journalists. Um, Donna Bishop is one of them. She was a columnist at the local paper there. She sort of gives us the background on who Nygaard was and what his career was. He's very well known in this city, but his clothing line was not for runway models. It was predominantly for middle-aged to older women sold through department stores. And he is starting um, his career in the 70s, which is the time, they say, of Yves Saint Laurent. That was the style that was really popular, and he did what you described Earlier, he saw the unserved half of the market, and he went for that. Brilliant choice, and it made him a really successful man. It made him a billionaire. He was born in Finland, and he emigrated to Manitoba. He lived in poverty in a converted coal shed. Those are the words that he and other people use when they describe his his early origins. His family um, uh, struggled in these circumstances, but he managed to get a business degree from University of North Dakota. He started working in retail as a manager for the, for a manufacturing company called Jacobs, and eventually he bought that company. Uh, and he employed the business strategy that we've already discussed. He designed, as they said, for the average 40-year-old body. And in 1978, he expanded into the United States and exploded internationally. And I think one of the things that's also really worth noting about this and him and this period is that this is we're talking about 1978. Right. So we're talking about the height of the disco era. I mm-hmm. think that... His not only was he seeking a kind of social place, but he found his home mm-hmm. in at the disco. Like mm-hmm. his morality, his style, his look, his idea of a good time. That was all very much born of a kind of 1970s disco sort of style and sensibility. Um, correct. But there were always correct. rumors. Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was just a rejoinder. I was just moving us along. I'm sorry. I was it's reading like, my notes while you were talking, and the, I was like, the, the Eric Qu- is done talking. Say a, an affirmative an thing. An interrogative. Um, <laughs> Good yeah. work, Eric. Yes. The, the pub quiz. The Peter Nygaard <laughs> pub quiz. I agree. I agree. Um but there are always these rumors of sexual misconduct circulating around him, and nobody's ever really able to pursue them. And the and the journalists in Winnipeg say, which is a really nice way of putting that when you consider what we're gonna find out. I mean, we're, we're, yeah, in 1996, one of the women who had a claim against him approached the paper. She was followed by two other women. Three of these women had gone on different dates to the Manitoba Human Rights Commission with allegations of harassment, verbal abuse, long hours, and sexual harassment which is distinct from the harassment harassment, which was sort of uh, aggression and being a cruel boss. Allegations of touching were also included. All three of those women got a settlement of $20,000 total, which is fucking nothing which is for nothing. a company like Nygaard's. Nygaard denies knowing anything about what they're talking about. His financial folks regarded it as a nuisance, and they just cut checks to the women to make them go away. Um uh, we're introduced to a woman named Pamela Erickson, and she'll become a through line because she ends up working for Nygaard for a very long time, kind of from, I guess, all through the 80s up until, um, uh, I guess, the mid-90s, but we'll get there. And she was his PR person. She was uh, involved in booking all of his public appearances, which were many. He would fly all over to these department stores and introduce new collections. He, was, and- he very much became the face of the brand and was the brand ambassador. Yeah. So to summarize some of this, which we do cautiously because we're talking about the ignored, historically ignored accounts of sexual violence victims, um, the, the women that we are introduced to start to tell stories dating all the way back to 1972 of... And they're identical. Identical, violent rapes. These For are violent 50 rapes. years. Yeah, and they're, these are not... There's no element of a seduction gone no. wrong or a misunderstanding. These are, he got these women alone and then violently overpowered them. And maybe drugged them. And what, what disturbing... If he'd have the opportunity. What disturbingly emerges from a lot of the accounts is an improving technique for physically restraining women. That the women describe, they all say that he has an ability to place his arm across your throat in a way that is that pins you, essentially. And he uses this technique. And he was able to position them in a way that it was hard for them to fight back. They yeah. were off balance in such a way that they couldn't kick him or shove him away in ways that would have been most effective for them. So one woman... She's practiced at it, which is just like, oh my God. And this is a particularly chilling detail. There was a victim who's identified as Susan, and she is raped in this way, and she does not come forward about it. But it turns out Nygaard is keeping notes about these experiences, and Susan's father is a vice cop in Winnipeg, and he comes across his daughter's name in the notes that Nygaard was keeping because Nygaard is arrested on another and charge. I mean, years later. And the charge is dropped because the woman the, the woman who brought the charge refuses to testify. So Susan's story, which has been dug up by all this, is also subsequently dropped. So she's essentially outed as a rape victim to and her then, own father. And then has to hide it. And then has to hide it. Um, so... You know, this this kind of goes on and on. In the first episode, I was shocked by how quickly we were getting into tales of sexual violence. I thought there was going to be kind of a slow build. They did an interesting—the technique in the, um, 
in this particular series was to travel backwards and forwards in time. They literally yeah. used a timeline. It was a line mm-hmm. with dates written above it, and they would, they would, you know, physically scroll up and down the line to give you a sense of where you were in the story. And I think at first I thought it was a bit labored, mm-hmm. but it began to be a very effective way of making me aware of how long this atrocity had been going on. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio Um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Uh, You just kind of beautifully described the structure that the series employs, which is this timeline that shuttles back and forth. And so I think I want to start by talking about what the sort of future anchor to that timeline is, if you will. Because it's really hard to just describe this to you in a sort of... Chronological way. Yeah. But here's why you might have recently heard of Peter Nygaard, because there was a Vanity Fair article not too long ago that described the feud that he was having with his neighbor in the Bahamas, that Peter Nygaard has a compound. It's essentially, it's called an island, but really it's a key, which I guess is technically a spit of land at the tip of a peninsula that's connected to the, vaguely connected to the adjacent piece of land. And he has this Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. It looks it like. It should be burned to the ground, raised, and never, never recreated ever again. It's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. It looks like the Waterworld experience at Universal. Like, have you ever <laughs> been to the Waterworld experience? It's so crazy. I can't remember if I have, but ne- yeah. Next door to it's Peter. Absurd. Next door to Peter Nygaard is. A man named Louis Bacon, who is the opposite of Peter Nygaard. Peter Nygaard has long, flowing hair. He wears these outlandish, colorful outfits. He's like full-length mink yeah, coats. Yeah, full-length mink coats. Louis Bacon is a religious, conservative hedge fund manager who always looks like he just ironed his socks. Which he's is religious? I missed that. Oh, yeah, you missed that part? Yeah. No, he's religious. Yeah. I didn't know that. I think that comes up later. Oh, yeah. Dear. yeah. He's religious. And uh, not at all 
like Peter Nygaard. Nothing like Peter. And they are literally side by side in these multi-million dollar, very high-end properties. And so, and they have feuded over the uh, fact that Peter Nygaard has parties that go all hours, and we'll later learn what Lewis Bacon's real complaint with some of those parties is, but that there is a shared driveway that allegedly Lewis Bacon redid and it caused a dip and all this water collected, blah, blah, blah. These men have been at each other forever. So when these sexual well, uh, uh, harassment allegations start to surface kind of in the present, Nygaard's defense is this is, a, this is a smear campaign brought against me by my neighbor in the Bahamas, Lewis Bacon. So that, okay, that gives you a sense of like the future of this. One of the things that we're, we're presenting, we're presenting the, the Discovery Plus series, mm -hmm. Unseemly, but with a sprinkling of a recent Dateline issue. Always gets the, back to Dateline, Of yes. Nygaard Key, the king of Nygaard Key. Secrets of Nygaard Key, yeah. yeah. And I, I watched the initial, we were considering doing this and I watched the, the, the Dateline and the thing that was most notable to me about the Dateline was how they were able to contain it in just an hour and a half. We were concerned there wouldn't be enough material for four episodes. I asked you to go watch the Dateline and say, do you think there's more here for us to get and into I the said, series I, with? There may be a second season. Yeah. Like, the, the thing that, the reason I bring it up was the moment, like, you've gone through, I mean, just account after account after account of these horrors, mm -hmm. and this has been going on for 45 minutes, and then suddenly... Oh, yes, and there's a war with another billionaire that yeah. was its own news story and had its own life and was in Vanity Fair and began to feel. And then the intersection of those things, which I don't think the um, the, 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 the Dateline version actually captured was the sense that he began – Bacon began funding – the other, the two things merged at yes. one point, and he became the finances behind yes. the the other prosecution. Anyway, it's but so okay. It but goes, like, it's there's so much here, and it's just what it, the series starts to do to you is you start to realize the people that you are seeing interviewed, giving deep background on Peter Nygaard, are people who have peeled off from his Bahamian enterprise and basically turned against him because of what they saw, what they witnessed. And they're being interviewed as the series begins, even really before you get into the Bahamas party lifestyle that he eventually developed next door to Lewis Bacon. And they just keep showing up. Yeah. As do the victims. Yeah. I just... So it's like, I don't know how to synopsize it other than to just get to the horrible heart of it. But basically, the Winnipeg allegations go nowhere because Nygaard and his friends call the paper and they say, we're going to pull our advertising if you pursue any of this in the pages of your newspaper. And that's it. And so, as with so many of and these— And so they do. And so, you know, yeah, this is a pretty big indictment. And as with so many of these horrible stories— does that mean that all the women you're about to meet who were abused subsequent to that were put in danger by that silence, by that shutting down of that story? I think you see well, that. Well, they certainly weren't helped. Yeah. But a lot of the thing that you also get is the victims talk about, like this woman from 1972, Mary, whatever her name Susan, was. 19, Susan. Yeah, Susan. Susan from 1972 never, ever considered talking about it mm -hmm. because she was 19 at the time yeah. and was just being given a ride home from an event like office drinks that where Peter just showed up and kind of horned into their party. Right. Um, yeah. Cause he was, you know, she was 19. So he was this old guy. Mm -hmm. He's probably 30 by then or something. Right. Um, but 
her father was a vice cop and she didn't want to embarrass her father mm-hmm. by having herself wind up on the cl- the crime blotter in his on his beat and so she didn't say anything if they hadn't found Peter Nygaard's rather narcissistic accounting of like right. he a described black Susan, book of rapes. his yeah. rape of Susan in 1972 his notes about her were needs work Jesus like so, she wasn't a good enough rape for him. Yeah, oh my god! Like that—that yeah, that was it. Was the yeah? So there's a horrible story of um, a beauty pageant contestant who has flown to meet with Nygaard, believing that they're going to discuss a business deal, and she goes to his warehouse and discovers that she has been trapped in a residential area of the warehouse with a deadbolt right. on the he wrong side of the door. apartments in his office so that he has a place it's to like a horror take movie. women. It's, it's like a, a horror, horror movie. movie. And he holds her there captive. But uh, but her sense of being held captive is also really interesting to me. Like, she called the airline to mm-hmm. see if she could get a ticket to fly back to Vancouver, where she was from. Mm-hmm. And they said there wouldn't be any flights until Thursday or whatever. And And I think, and I was thinking, how do you feel trapped in an environment where you can call the airline? Like, you could also call the police and say, come and get me out. But that's the thing that was so fascinating about was getting into the mindset of this woman believing that she was trapped in this situation. The thing that it made me think of is the people the cops took back to Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, like, it's that. It's like you run and you escape. And I don't know. You know, like, I just feel like... I could sort of get that given the time period we were in because that was 1993. And I just think we have evolved so rapidly on these issues and our conversation well, of these and issues. And beyond that, yeah. we're men. I know. I and know. I just don't have the same sense. My sense of agency is never like, if I'm ready to leave, it's going to happen one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like, or it's going to come to a really bad state for one of us, maybe even me. But when I, it's time for me to go. I know. That's what's going to happen And next. I think part of that is like, if I'm running out of a warehouse in an isolated urban area, I'm going to feel less in danger alone on the street getting away than a oh, woman yeah. will feel running alone on the yeah, street. I could or, just walk back to civilization. Like I, I talked to a friend of mine who was an author and she was a woman and she was on a research trip alone through parts of Oklahoma and she said, yeah, I just didn't, I couldn't go over there. I couldn't get over there to research that stuff. I said, why? And she said, I was a woman traveling alone. I wasn't going to go to that part, that rough area by myself. And it was like, oh, Oh, you know, it was like my my right. eyes and, opened. And that was the thing that was so yeah. revelatory about listening to these women tell their story, particularly these young women who had these horrible things done to them and then were like, oh, well, I can't talk about that. And I know there are cases of, of men, young men being mm-hmm. uh, molested or interfered with Coerced. in some way yeah. and who are reluctant to come forward with their stories for their own reasons. But it was... But those kind of make more sense to me than, yeah. because that's usually about not wanting to be humiliated or mm-hmm. feeling that somehow they did something wrong or that they are, in fact, something they don't want to be. The whole homophobia thing often. Yeah, there's that. But I think I think what we're going to see or what we do see with this series as we move from Canada into the Bahamas is that the strategy stays the same. But what it turns into in the Bahamas is the minute these young women arrive, believing they're coming for tennis lessons, a modeling gig, he takes their fucking passport away. 
It's about power. It's like Jesus. This, this yeah. entire exchange with this man was about power. He captured these people. He drugged them. He did whatever he could mm-hmm. to take away. He took away their passports to imprison them, and then he did with them as they want. These were literally people being recruited to be used as sex slaves, whether it was long-term or short-term. Mm-hmm. And there was the whole group that were called the girlfriends who yeah. were sort of like long-term sex slaves. Is this story is very similar to the Jeffrey Epstein story. In fact, I think they've called him Canada's Jeffrey Epstein. Like there's so many. I don't know if you've watched any of the Epstein documentaries. I have tried. The use of power and the use of a recruiter from among the group of right. victims. So you get in her yes. fucking head and you twist and you make her feel like she's culpable when she's really one of the victims herself. And you, Oh, God. Anyway... One of the stories that really leaped out at me because I was like, wow, was Reva Steenbergen, who um, came from a really, really mean, tough background and was working as an exotic dancer when she met Nygaard. She had been a a penthouse model, and she went down there thinking she was going to be there on business, and he pulled his routine with her, took her passport away. The other women said, this is how it's going to be. You can't get away. But she said, while she didn't feel like she could run or escape or get away from his abuse, she just treated him like shit. She just talked. She said, I talked to him like I wasn't going to give him that part of the power. Right. Like I wasn't going to give him adoration or stroke his ego or whatever. She didn't she resist was, him. She just lay there. She just lay there and let, yeah, it was She just, wow. it was, it was a brutal, but it was her fighting back. And she said, because of who she was coming into it, she didn't feel she could talk about it because she thought nobody, yeah. she had been a penthouse model. She just thought, yeah, nobody's ever going to think I'm this guy's victim. Right. And I think, you know, like ties into John Oliver's recent episode about what laws against sex work actually do to like who they really harm. And that's, that's a conversation for another episode, but, but, but he was indiscriminate in who he went after. He didn't have a victim profile, but what he eventually evolved or devolved into being was he would host these events at his Bahamian compound called pamper parties. Okay, and they were like a machine. This was like a criminal operation. The goal was to invite young and often underage local girls to get manicures and massages. And it was all happening in this boozy atmosphere in their massage tables. And it was it was a human trafficking scheme as well. They arrived at the front gate. They're photographed Mm -hmm. and added to a database, which included by the end, something they said, something like 7,000 women. He would then, he was in his rooms. He was seeing them. They were rated based on their appeal level to him and then directed. He applied his own business techniques to the recruiting and ultimately sexual assault of these um, these young women who were being brought to bust in, bust in. Or brought in from the rougher neighborhoods of the Bahamas, where at the same time he was going out and showing up as, you know, great white father coming with money right. and yeah. charitable donations and supporting local organizations. And he was um, big behind a lot of the big politicians, the prime minister. And yes. so he was funding them and seen with them and seen to be supportive of the local economy. So they had no reason to distrust him and every reason to think they were getting this great, wonderful free perk from this guy who had showed up in their neighborhoods and built recreation centers and Mm -hmm. contributed to local charities and been a helpful 
apparently solid member of their community. And then one night, one of these young women, after being abused and traumatized, sneaks over the fence and ends up on Lewis Bacon's property. Remember Lewis Bacon? We talked about him earlier. Ah, dun, dun, and dun. that's when the shit starts, the wheel starts to turn on Peter Nygaard. Because now Lewis Bacon, who has been going after Peter Nygaard for decimating the coastline around his property and trying to marshal a kind of environmental law response to his excess and his... his and Peter Nygaard yeah. has turned his own videographer into the sort of... Fox News on, uh, yeah. on on Bacon. He's making up all these fake news reports and putting them out about he, he's a member of the Ku Klux Klan, right. murderer and a Nazi yes. and all kinds of horrible things and posting them on, on YouTube right. for the gullible to try and attack him. They've been fighting back and forth like this when suddenly... This lands and in. Lewis Bacon realizes there is a dimension to the neighbor he hates that he had no idea about. Eric, yes, Christopher. Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So now that Lewis Bacon has discovered that his horrible neighbor, Peter Nygaard... And just as a footnote, yeah. Peter Nygaard's videographer defects and goes to Thomas Absolutely. Bacon and shows him the videos and says, look, I was hired by Peter Nygaard to put these things together, and I just want to make you aware. I know that I'm 
you know, maybe not the best person for having done this, but I can't keep doing this in good conscience. And I want you to know. And he's been in hiding ever since. The cameraman has been in hiding ever yeah. since. Yes. Yeah. Because cars got firebombed. And- but, but Lewis Bacon puts together a legal fund to go after Peter Nygaard on these charges. And he starts supporting all of the, he finds all these young women who have been victimized and abused at these parties. He supports them with their, he supports their legal expenses. He offers them some degree of protection. And, and so what and couldn't happen, what couldn't happen in Winnipeg starts to happen in the Bahamas with Lewis Bacon, which is this stuff all starts to come to light. Sorry, and, I just wanted to make that connection. And the videographer has been documenting all, all of this, all of the it. pamper parties and all of it all along. So Thomas Bacon now has all of Lewis that. Lewis Bacon. Thomas Bacon. Thomas Bacon is actually, yes, yes. a very different, yes. certainly, yes, talk about another very show. So, very much a different show. Lewis yes. Bacon, yes, has, has, has got all of this, um, all of this data and documentation okay. of the the horror show that's been going on right across the um the I, I guess it's a canal between them. I, do, like, I can't, it looked like, like it looked like companion boat slips separated the two properties. But here's the thing we are not even remotely done with this story. Oh no. Like, we're just starting. This is okay. like 15 years before it's over. So then we go back on that timeline again and we meet a woman named Beverly Peel. And if you haven't heard of Beverly Peel, she was one of the first um, truly famous black female supermodels. She, she was, was one of the first supermodels. She was one period. of the first supermodels. She's stunningly gorgeous Just, woman. Oh my God, still. And she started modeling when she was 12 and a half years old. Um, she, Nygaard spots her and says, I'm going to sign you to an exclusive deal. It's going to be amazing. It's going to take you to the next level. Really, it's going to take Nygaard up a level because she's a supermodel from the fashion world and he's right. never really been a member of that But he's going to pay her a huge amount of money for a three-year contract. The minute he gets that deal signed, he does his thing. He gets her alone. He drugs her and he rapes her. He drugs her. her and he rapes her. She's simultaneously married. Well, she was engaged at that point right. and gets married very shortly thereafter. She never is involved with Peter Nygaard in that way ever again, manages to avoid him. And nine months later, she has a baby and the baby is clearly Peter Nygaard's because Peter Nygaard is white. Beverly is a black woman. The baby is biracial. It destroys her marriage and she copes with it the only way that she can, which is she kind of accepts it and she lets Let's, I'm putting in air quotes. She's a hostage to this man in a business sense. He, she kind of allows him to have a fatherly role in her son's life. It wasn't clear to me, but my impression was she did complete her three-year contract with him, but mm-hmm. then that was it. Their yeah. business relationship ended, but they did continue to have a relationship because of the son. Yeah, Trey. Yeah, Trey she continued to uh, just yeah. travel, and she even says that when Trey got to be 13 and could travel on his own, she was thrilled because she didn't have to even go with him. Right. She could just let him go be with his father and, and stay away from him. Here's the thing. None of this happened in the Bahamas. This is all happening in Los Angeles where Nygaard has a house in Marina del Rey, right? So it's it's like he was abusing people all over the fucking world. Yeah. Like, the guy was just— Yeah, he had, like, a, a regular-sized commercial jet that he flew around in that had a bedroom in it that stopped— lube and condoms in the bedside table right. the the listening to the testimony of the airline attendant who worked on his plane was jaw dropping and then so Lewis Bacon back in the Bahamas is getting all these resources to get, together to go after Nygaard and he hires OT investigations which look like you know 
the the private detectives you do not want on your ass. Right. And they start investigating the fact that Nygaard is making regular trips to China where he is undergoing radical stem cell therapy treatments that are illegal in the Just United States. Just when you States. thought this story was at its conclusion, this is even worse. He is allegedly now, according to their investigation, sleeping with women in China, getting them pregnant, and then getting them to abort the babies so that he can take the embryonic stem cell tissue and use it in his treatments on himself. And he is claiming at this point to be mostly composed of these embryonic stem cells from, from the children. I, I just and I also, fucking fell out of my and chair. And he's also juicing his tits off. Yeah, like he's steroids. Steroids and, yeah. all over the place. So yeah, it was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like you think that it can't possibly get any worse and then you find out that he's breeding his own stem cells out of unwilling victims from God only knows where. It was just... Okay, and because I think we've reached that point and we can fill in some of the details, in December 2020, Nygaard is arrested in Winnipeg. He's fo They follow a, a U.S. extradition request. He's indicted in New York on charges of sex trafficking minors and racketeering. Because of the law firm that that Bacon hired. Right. Who went and interviewed the, the young women and decided that they were going to do it. And they were terrified. One of the things that we didn't really did detail much is the retaliation for talking against yeah. him was people going and showing up at people's doors and blowing up car bombs, car bombs yeah. and firebombing cars and attacks and physical assaults of all men. I, it is really like it was it was like a criminal operation. So when they prosecuted it as using the RICO statutes. It really was a, a, a criminal enterprise. And I want to sort of correct something I said earlier. I said that he had no victim profile, but I think it's important to note that when he began developing the Pamper Party criminal enterprise, he was specifically targeting economically disadvantaged women in the Bahamas who were and desperate for money underage. and support. And underage. He, that was when it, like, the other victims that we meet along the way, many of them were of age and they were whatever. They were, for the most part, young women when he targeted them. But things went really despicably dark yeah. when those pamper parties 14 year olds started. and yeah. that sort of thing it was really yeah. yeah it got really really dark this is a terrible story and it is expansive and really in four episodes is not concluded and has a lot more to go there could be another season yeah. Yeah. to this story because there is there continues to be stuff revealed i mean when in as episode they go along. three we're meeting a famous supermodel and that whole story i was like my god there is no end to this man's depravity like it just which is why when i watched the dateline and went i'm surprised they could fit as much as they did into yeah. like the dateline story doesn't even mention the whole stem cell angle mm -mm. it never even comes up it doesn't really focus a lot on Lewis Bacon. Like, it, there's a mention of Lewis Bacon, but you're right. His investigation, the extent to which he supported the women, sanctuary, I think, is what he called his legal yeah. defense fund. You know, it's not, that's really more in the discovery That's in the discovery, discovery series. Yeah, the, the, I did not get the sense in the Dateline issue that he was the one behind the law firm because I was, I remember thinking in the Dateline, what is your interest in doing it? If they'd been prosecutors, it would have been one thing, mm -hmm. but they were not. They were a private law firm. And I was like, what is your interest in pursuing yeah. this particular crime? Sense. And then it was like, oh, there's a billionaire paying your legal expenses, but, so and, sure. And this is the thing, too. And I, good for him. A good use of billionaire's fortune. Yeah. The Discovery series goes into um, 
the special type of law you need to take use of when you are dealing with, as we described earlier, a recruiter who is among the victim group, who is an underage woman or, or man who has been coerced into being a recruiter because the law wants to treat that person purely as a criminal or the law used to want to treat that person. That's a big piece of the Epstein case. There is a young woman that Epstein, again, economically disadvantaged, this time in Florida, in Palm Beach, near his compound. She was turned into the recruiter. It completely destroyed her emotionally and psychologically. She's now a grown woman believing that, you know, she was culpable in this evil when she herself was underage and victimized by Epstein sexually when she was brought into this criminal enterprise. So in the Discovery Plus series, they have a special lawyer who now deals with this kind of evolving area of the law. And she has specifically, I think it's Rochelle is the young woman who was turned into a recruiter and she is um, and how being defended by this lawyer. How dispiriting that this is becoming an area of the law. Like, this is mm-hmm. like, we're starting to see more of this. Is this what billionaires... Is this where being a billionaire can lead you? Like that sort of the the unlimited resources, you know, the absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like I I don't think that it's true of all billionaires. I don't think it, you know, obviously. But this is not – this is like the second time I have been presented with somebody or the third or the fourth time. Cosby, Weinstein, Mm -hmm. Nygaard, and what's his name? Epstein Mm -hmm. um, are really – Kind of, it's that's it's beyond just being an abuser or whatever. It is the organized criminal behavior yeah. to support the being abuser that I find just mind blowing. The thing that I think is is uh, deeply disturbed. There's nothing about the Epstein story isn't disturbing. The thing that is a hallmark of its its brand of disturbing is the number of affluent enablers he had. Right. The Jelaine Maxwell. There was more than one Jelaine Maxwell in the story there. Here with Nygaard, he built this enterprise using disadvantaged women, predating on other disadvantaged right. women. Right. He set it up. But Epstein had higher level help and Epstein's sexual crimes, while appalling, Again, their level of disturbing was not about violence. It was about coercion, manipulation, um, and isolation, right? Some of which are with Nygaard, but the the level of the pure, full-on violent rape, I don't believe, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, was not Epstein's M.O. It was getting these younger women to give him massages and then getting them away from everything else and all of their families. It was like separation Manipulation. Yeah, I mean, I think their sexual yeah. kinks were different, but the the structure, because a lot of Nygaard's enablers were actually the people in the company. One of the reasons yeah. that his company really doesn't exist anymore, it's in Chapter 11 and being the pieces are being sold off, um, is because that was the, the yeah. foundation of his criminal enterprise was born of the company – Higher level employees in that company were performing these upper level yeah. services to his criminal endeavors in and around the trafficking of these young women. However, you want to, and that's that's the that's the sea change that we may be really undergoing. Like, can we change the heart and soul of psychopathic billionaires? Maybe not, but can we make it clear that if you see something and you don't say something? 
someone's going to come for you eventually, that changes the climate at the company. That changes the enablement network, if you will. Right. right? You know, or it necessarily and essentially handicaps that network. Because and I've that's, always, I yeah. always wonder that in the James Bond movies, like what's in it for the henchmen? You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was clear in these particular circumstances that these were well-paying jobs from with an abusive boss. He was as abusive to his employees Terrible. as he was to um, the people that he was sexually abusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was some sense of intimidation, but there were plenty of people who just walked out and said, oh, no. Yeah. No, no. no, no I'm not doing that. Um, yeah. And they were part of the problem that he dealt with going forward. And a number of the people who were the victims of intimidation and violence and assault and had to go and literally go into hiding yeah. to avoid his retributions. It was one of the more disturbing ones we've ever done. I remember you called and said, or you texted and said, we should definitely do the series because there's a lot here. And I said, well, I'm going to watch one because I know nothing about this story. I mean, it was a Sunday and I sat down and I watched one and I couldn't stop watching because I had to know how it ended. I was like, I ha- I can't do this halfway. And we I have don't to really get- know yet. Yeah. Like, this is all still up in the, like, the prosecutions have not actually taken place yet. He's mm-hmm. been arraigned and charged and that kind of stuff. Or I'm not sure if I'm using the exact correct legal terminology, but this has not gone to trial. He has not been sentenced yet. This is all still yeah. very much unfolding, which is why I say there's at least another episode or a special or maybe a whole nother season yeah. of, you know, because God knows if this is what's been revealed so far. Mm-hmm. You know, once we actually get criminal authorities involved in it, because the suits at this point are civil. Yeah. Like if this actually starts to attract the attention of for um, criminal prosecution, what might they reveal? What might still be lurking in the shadows of this particular? And the, the, the horrible thing that hangs over this is that so much of this horrible behavior is alleged to have happened in the Bahamas. And there's a sense that he bought his way through the Bahamas, that there's no sense of bringing effective charges against him there because he put everybody in power politically. So how do you get him on something? Or was bribing the shit out of him along the way or whatever. Yeah, there is that sort of sense of it being a corrupt environment. And they were, you know, like the Bahamanian government was very much not a participant in the investigation Mm -hmm. other than to say that you know, nothing could be the further from the truth. There was never... one pastor, local pastor, who clearly worked with Lewis Bacon on environmental issues. He's the one Bahamian sort of man of power and agency that is interviewed. And he'd been firebombed. Yeah, and he had been firebombed. Yeah. Like he and his church burned down or something. Oh, I mean, it's just God. horrible. It's just, it was just really like, wow, this is really terrible, terrible man. And his children were involved. His oh son is. We didn't even his, get into right, the children. His son has changed his own name and is actually working towards he'd had to get out of the company because he just couldn't deal with his, no, yeah. his father. And he wasn't even aware of all of this stuff yet. And as it's become aware, he's just divorced himself from his whole affiliation with his family and is working to try and help the victims. Mm-hmm. And But the thing that everybody said was, this is not who I knew. You know, like, he was troubled, but I had no idea that this was who he was. You know, like, the son had, the son tells a story of being at, like, a Christmas party or something, a dinner party of sorts, where he's at the table with his father, and the father had seated somebody's, like, 15-year-old daughter immediately next to him, and he was 
flirting with her all during the course of the meal. And the son was witnessing this. And then at the conclusion of the meal, put himself in a, adjacent to the young woman in a way that he could touch her inappropriately. Jesus. And the son lost his shit. Jesus. And went after and went to the girl's mom and said, get her away from him mm-hmm. and get her out of here now. Yeah. And she did. And the father called and called and called. And when he finally took the call, the father's response to his own son was, how come you were the only person at the dinner party who saw this crazy, sick mind that you would yeah. be imagining these sorts of things? Yeah. That was his uh, you know, response to his own son's yeah. alarm about gaslighting, his behavior. Just classic gaslighting. Oh, just crazy. I, you know, the thing that was so horrible about it for me is that it, it combined the violence of Harvey Weinstein with the power and manipulation of Jeffrey Epstein into one horrifying story. It was like, you know, I just... Uh, and I think that you made a really valid and urgent point, which is this story is ultimately about the veneration of money at all costs. He was making people money. I mean, and this is the Hollywood story. We've always said this about Hollywood living here before the Me Too awakening yeah. happened, and not in the context of sexual abuse. Harvey didn't go down until Harvey wasn't making people the same kind of exactly. banks that he was making them. And, but it was always allowed, before we started talking about this in this way, your bad behavior was allowed if your movies were drawing in box office. It didn't matter how late you were. It didn't matter who you talked to like shit. It didn't matter what drugs you were on. If your movies were selling, you were seen as having captured the Holy Grail, and nobody would tell you what to do, and nobody would fuck with you. And this system allowed and allows still for a lot of really bad behavior and abuse, sexual and otherwise. Yeah, apparently so. We're fired up. This one fired This was us really up. quite yeah. the story. It was quite a—it was, it was so, like, I recommend it, but brace yourself. Because we can't really touch on— there's so much detail here. Yeah. There are so many stories that have gone untold. There are so many victims who, like, it just kept unfolding. Yeah. Episode after episode, another woman and another woman and another woman and another woman and another woman. All the while, they were talking about, you know, and then stem cells and then the drugs. St- just, the stem cell stuff, just, I couldn't believe that what just I was hearing. blew me out of the water. Because if, if it was like... <laughs> I'm just repeating myself, but it was it was a well-directed, well-put-together professional documentary, and it was so horrible that you wanted to react the way you would if you were just watching some hack job on YouTube, like the videos he was having made about his right. enemy, Louis Bacon. But you were everybody was too credible. It, there were too many different voices saying the same thing. The stories were too consistent. You know, it was... Yeah, it was, it was like the consistent. Cosby thing. Yeah. Like, all of those women told exactly the same story, like... I, I I'm sorry. Yeah. It's he said, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said. Like right, exactly. It really just gets to the point where it's like, I'm sorry, all of these people all over the world and over the course of fifty years. Right. These all these women all told the same story. They all had the detail about the arm over the neck. Mm-hmm. Everybody who talked about him That's talked the, about yeah. like and the, it was, you know, there were commonalities in a lot of the different stories for different ones of these particular cases with Harvey and with different yeah. people. So you have to think that you, you just go, yeah, I'm sorry. This many women are not lying. Yeah. So next week. <laughs> we're, we're going to take a We're not going to talk about Peter breath. Nygaard. We're going to take a deep breath. We're going to talk about something much lighter. Uh, what do you think happens when we die? <laughs> 
that's really the topic for next week. We do something on our Facebook page, the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page, I should say, called The Wednesday Question. And we recently asked you, what do you think comes next? Is this all there is? Do you believe in the afterlife? And do your beliefs take you into the realm of religion, spirituality, or something altogether different? This will be our Easter episode. Right? Because... <laughs> Why not? It's about resurrection. It's about life after death. Absolutely. Or, you know, whether or not you believe in such a thing. So why not talk about it? So until then and forever after, maybe. <laughs> maybe forever and ever. We'll talk about that next week. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.